Chapter 6. Whereforth cometh the change? I'll see you at the edge. Disruption is such an overused word today. I was often described as a disruptive child in school. As I was always questioning things or being restless in class, the term followed me when I entered employment. For in the workplace as an employee, I was known as the one who was constantly restless and uncomfortable with the status quo. And that in a sense is what disruption is, an unwelcome intrusion to break the air of calmness, an uncomfortable and desperate force for change, a disturbance in the force, an attempt to break from the past, a minor altercation or irritation, not fitting in or complying with the lie that is the norm of today. These are hardly the adjectives that one would use to describe the war erupting around the world today. Yes, at one level this is disruptive in that context, but at another level it is far from merely being disruptive. It is truly transformative, because our world will never be the same again. And that's the fear, that this brings anarchy with no option to go back or unwind the change. The pandemic, for example, is demonstrating that the scrambled egg is scrambled forever, that there is a new normal that is a complete break from the past, You see, when the rules change, everybody goes back to zero. And the rules are changing with the pandemic. They're similarly changing with the digital war. This digital war is rapidly changing the present and eradicating the past. It is being driven by digital disruptors, both large-scale and small. The large firms are the tech giants and the small players are the startups. They're like a loose coalition of military factions, private armies and mercenaries, each fighting a common loosely affiliated enemy, the past and the present, but for their own interests. Like the various attacks of a broad front that pulled down ancient Rome over a century of seemingly innocuous incursions, these various military units have varying levels of sophistication and always start at the edges of your society, the fringes. Change, you see, really comes from the center of an organization or society. It is almost always the outer regions that change first which of course explains California and the disproportionate impact that it has had on the world. For example, Silicon Valley, Hollywood, the musical industry and the aerospace all started in California. The women's movement started there as well. Similarly, Wuhan would have been at the fringes of most of our lives until January of this year. Change always starts at the edge. The digital war is most severe with the youth, the liberals, the early adopters, the fashionistas, the cool kids, and the tech-savvy. The first users of internet banking were all developers. The youth adopted WhatsApp first, with older people following much later. Facebook started out as something for the cool kids until grandma and grandpa got on board, and today it is increasingly an older person's tool as coolness migrates to other platforms like TikTok. Half the smartphones in Africa never even access the internet. Why? because they were purchased by older, wealthier individuals for bragging rights rather than utility, helping you maximize your mating potential rather than as a tool in itself. The perimeter of any army, society, industry or organization is always the most vulnerable. It's the furthest from the center. It gets the least attention. It's the least vested in the now. And it typically is the freest wheeling and least managed like the outermost layers of electrons or moons, are the least held to the nucleus of the planet. And that is very well understood by disruptors and armies. That is where the initial skirmishes begin, and where the progress is made, or where defeats are suffered. That is where the current occupier is least committed. 
That is where the populations are turned. Small victories that are ignored or built on until large swathes of territory are lost forever and the incumbent is in full-scale retreat. A military rout, in fact. Or as Britain gave up her territories after the Second World War, a political rout. But first, let us understand where these disruptors come from. They all started as, well, startups. A startup is a small firm or organization of highly focused and driven individuals who passionately believe in a vision and make massive personal sacrifice to achieve a burning ambition. So basically, they're fundamentalist rebels, like terrorists or insurgents, like Che Guevara, well camouflaged and hidden in plain sight, making small strikes in an unconventional, asymmetrical war. Totally unexpected areas of attack, in areas not thought to be vulnerable, and using weapons that are poorly understood, or were previously never even thought of as weapons at all, using the infrastructure of the incumbent against them, totally unexpected like using your planes to destroy your buildings, as we saw in the events of 9-11. A war where being big, clunky, powerful, and where having to protect large territory is actually a disadvantage. We're burning vast resources just to maintain the status quo is very costly and a suboptimal use of resources. Where a large portion of mental and leadership bandwidth is wasted in just keeping the whole together, very much like ancient Rome. This is the perfect storm for an insurgency. A big, brash enemy who is arrogant and overconfident and full of self-importance, but has lost complete awareness of what is happening on the ground. Instead, spending all their time fighting internal turf battles and redesigning an internal obsolete revenue engine. This is very similar to what happened during the Second World War, with the British Navy improving battleships, which were dominant in the First World War, dominating the oceans only to be exposed by dive bombers, magnetic floating mines, and submarines a few decades later, rendered obsolete to the point that these vessels almost never ventured out of the harbor for fear of destruction. All this while the insurgent is moving fast and deep and silent, constantly testing your defenses and innovating their tactics and weapons while enhancing new skills for a rapidly evolving war until finally it develops the perfect attack. An attack in an area that is most weak with an unbeatable weapon using a tactic that has no defense. Consider what WhatsApp and BBM, BlackBerry Messenger, did to SMSs. During the 90s and the first half of the noughties, the latter was a global multi-hundred billion dollar industry. Yes, SMSs were an amazing successful business. Yet what most consumers did not realize is that by far the most profitable service in telecommunications and in fact, per megabyte of information moved even today, an SMS is the most expensive form of data access available. So in this multi-trillion dollar industry, SMSs were a multi-hundred billion dollar revenue stream. And so along comes a small innovation called a messaging app. It initially came from BlackBerry, but BlackBerry locked it to their own devices, which Apple, in fact, has done similarly with their messaging service. This is a typical defensive strategy to make a solution proprietary, which ended up helping its replacement, namely WhatsApp. WhatsApp, you see, ran on all devices to grow much faster to the point that it rapidly became ubiquitous in a few years. By the time BlackBerry was able to run on other devices, it was too little too late. Game over. And the cost of a WhatsApp message, well, 
it was effectively free because it used your data bundle and only small parts of it too. This was a major consumer pain point, and it was at the fringe of the telecommunications business as can be seen by the absolute lack of innovation on the SMS platform for over 20 years. There was no movement to use data for SMSs, no addition of pictures and videos, poor user experience, and no possibility to add voice to it or set up proper conversations in groups. It wasn't secure, and there was no indication that the other party was typing, which was quite important from an emotional point of view. And of course, no attempt to reduce prices, except grudgingly. Limiting digital product consumption is really dumb if the marginal cost of production of that digital product is zero, as it was in the case of SMSs. It is simple math that incumbents failed to understand. Hence, excessive prices for SMSs for any notification, except for bank transactions or even travel. Digital services execute at zero marginal cost. So why is there a price? So what was the response when the pain finally bit? Many telecommunications companies' response was, let's give the consumer a 10,000 SMS bundle. Let's give the customer, in other words, more of a pathetic service to compete with a newer service that is better in every respect. A classic invasion that was ignored and undermanaged until it was too late and the war was lost. Look at your SMS inbox today. You will not find messages from people. You will find love being shown to you by advertisers, insurance companies, banks and retailers, and of course the odd winning lottery event of dubious origins. Not people. The service used to be a person-to-person service, P2P for two decades, and today it is just an A2P service, an application-to-person service. You see, programs in large companies are now sending you messages. This story of the SMS's corporate demise is far bigger than the stories of Barnes & Noble, Kodak, and Blockbuster combined. From a revenue point of view, it's orders of magnitude bigger, but almost nobody refers to this in the examples of the losses in the digital wars. Why? It happened right in front of us, and quickly too. And importantly, it's about a revenue stream that evaporated completely to be replaced with a free service. Total seduction of the population with digital efficiency. This is arguably one of the largest victories of the digital war. And of course, it's not published much because it is, well, embarrassing. Who would have owned this new messaging app industry? Who should have? Who should have won this war? Well, the telecommunications industry should have, of course. What stopped them from doing so? Hubris arrogance, and the inability to coordinate a concerted fight back by a fragmented global telecommunications industry with differing priorities. This is no different to challenges in combating cyber-terrorism or insurgencies in the world today. Disruption thrives and evolves in the cracks in society. We see this now with the rapid expansion of the pandemic and the disparate reactions leading to vastly different outcomes in terms of fatalities, but also economic damage. We are fragmented in our responses in fighting the pandemic, even though it's a species-level threat and economically could be an existential threat. But this is no different to what's happening in many industries, from payments and banking to communications and media. A broken alliance against an unbeatable foe. In Chapter 7, we'll be talking about the startup, the insurgent drivers of disruption.